This is the third Sunday uh, after Epiphany, and I mentioned before, the third Sunday after Epiphany, uh, there's a mini green season that we have now going up to Lent. In the old church calendar, it was a season of pre-Lent, and we rightfully decided, gee whiz, Lent six weeks long as it is, what do we need pre-Lent for? But some of the themes that come to us in the readings for this period uh, do have uh, preparatory aspects to them about the season of Lent. And the focus on the green seasons in this time of the year, just as the long green season that we have after Pentecost, is on the nature, cost, and the ways and the means of Christian discipleship. And today we have a, a subject raised which comes up uh, throughout the Christian year a lot in Lent, but also at other times, and that is the importance of repentance. And a lot of Christian caricatures that you, you see uh, preachers always preaching repentance, and um, there's a lot of ways in which that has been done over the history of Christianity, which is not particularly congenial for a lot of people. But I thought I'd say something to you about repentance today because... Um, the readings call for it, and uh, so this sermon is kind of a ramble through uh, repentance generally, and maybe some things that will help us uh, come to grips with it. The biblical reading that I might focus on briefly as we move along is uh, Jonah in Nineveh, or uh, as we had at the 8 o'clock liturgy in Nivea. <laughs> but you know, there it is. You've heard me say this before. Repentance in the New Testament, there are two words that are used for that term in our language, English. Uh, the Greek word that is most common is metanoia. And the other Greek word that is used in the New Testament for repent is epistrophe. And uh, both of them mean to turn around or to change. Metanoia means to change your mind. And epistrophe means to change your mind, but also there's an added aspect to the meaning of the word and its origins, which is to change your mind and then make it manifest in behavior. So that there is a, a way that you put this into your hands. So metanoia is the changing of your mind and your heart about this. Remember a couple of weeks ago I mentioned that uh, the newest information on the brain tells us that our thinking and our feeling happen simultaneously. So when you think about getting your heart and your head together, these aren't separate activities. They act together in unison. And in the Hebrew worldview, the worldview out of which Jesus came and his followers, they understood the heart as the seat of the intellect. So that, that the thinking part was important, but also how we felt and how we used that, those aspects of our, of our humanity to come to the deep things of human existence. So repentance has something to do with uh, how we feel, but also how we think about what we feel and uh, how we turn around and change ourselves in some ways. Marcus Borg, 
who uh, is fairly well known. Some of you may have heard of him. He has written a number of books on the historical Jesus. Uh, he's a biblical scholar who teaches at, I think, Oregon State, whichever university is in Corvallis. I can't remember which one. Is it Oregon State? And he's a professor of New Testament there. His wife is an Episcopal priest. He said when he married her, he didn't have that outcome as something that was part of the plan. <laughs> but uh, he's written some very fine books. And for many people who are struggling with the idea of belief and whether it's possible and how to do that and coming out of you know the old ways we've understood Christianity, he's been an invaluable resource to people to sort of come back and reconnect with the church. I don't agree with everything he says, but he sure is good. And he wrote a book about three years ago called The Heart of Christianity. And in this book, he wrote some things about repentance. And here's what he said. Repentance in the New Testament has an additional nuance of meaning. The Greek roots of the word combine to mean go beyond the mind that you have been given and acquired. Go beyond the mind shaped by culture to the mind that you have in Christ. So what he uh, came to this quote that I have just read to you was a sort of preface to it of saying that most of the time people think about repenting as contrition, you know. And one of the things that we struggle with in Christianity for a lot of people these days is the idea that Christianity has for so long laid a lot of guilt trips on people, right? And made us uh, feel that... Um, I um, read from a, a, a famous Anglican evangelical an article about two months ago who said, you know, if you don't tell people about their sinfulness and about to create a little guilt in them, you lose a substantial leg up <laughs> with regard to how, how you can get people banked home to God. Right? You've got to tell people that they need a Savior. And you need to convict them of their sin. And you need to tell them that they need to repent and to turn their life around and to uh, uh, accept the salvation that is offered uh, in Jesus Christ. In fact, it's the only salvation that's being offered out there, so you better get with the program. Well, clearly my experience as a pastor for a long time now has been not only is that a hard sell, some people just simply say, count me out. All right? Or maybe even in their worst moods, say to God, take your best shot. <laughs> you know? So we got to think about this a different way. And what Marcus Borg is saying is, think about how to go beyond the mind that you have been given and acquired. This also will mean go beyond the mind that you have required with regard to the prejudices and biases of the contemporary culture with regard to belief and with regard to Christianity. So this is a two-edged sword in many ways and it requires some degree of thoughtfulness and care. 
one of the things that I wanted to mention about this in terms of repentance is that if we're talking about the focus being on changing your mind, about looking at your life in a new way, about the connection between repentance and conversion, you know, all of us have many vocations. And all of us got into these vocations, some, sometimes by accident, but most of the time because we wanted to do this. And at the time we did that, we had certain in, and a certain enthusiasm and a conviction and a commitment. And that gets kind of bumped and bruised over time when you realize that you're in it for the long haul. So as you begin to think about how to revivify this converted feeling, this sense, sometimes some self-examination is required. Because it isn't all just external circumstances that have knocked you around. It's sort of internal uh, errors of thinking and believing and relating that uh, you have developed and you just haven't become aware of it. You know, that's why in the recovery movement they speak about the necessity of con having from time to time taking a fearless and searching moral inventory. It's not an easy process, but repentance does involve some of that. I read a book a number of years ago and I recommended it to people. It's not on the, uh, in the website, and I'm going to see that it goes in the website. Richard Tarnas. The Passion of the Western Mind, Understanding the Ideas that Have Shaped Our Worldview. It's a wonderful book. And in this book, he has a little section on this whole issue of repentance and stuff. And he quotes from a famous Mexican philosopher, some of you may have heard of, named Octavio Paz. Octavio Paz says, the examination of conscience and the remorse that accompanies it, which is the legacy of Christianity, has been and is the single most powerful remedy against the ills of our civilization. So I'm, I'm kind of laying before you a paradox, aren't I? The need not to focus on contrition and the need to focus more on God's unconditional acceptance, love, and forgiveness, as Marcus Borg would say. But at the same time, there are occasions when we do some serious soul-searching when some good old remorse just may be what is necessary and provide the impetus for you to move in a healthier direction. So repentance has something to do with that. Now... I'm one of these people who believes that in some sense everybody's connected to everybody and everything is connected to everything. And so in our more intimate connections, uh, what one person does affects how we behave and think, right? And how you behave and think affects what other people behave and think. It's like a system. So when we stop to think about this, what do we do with the issue of dealing with changes in the people that are close to us, in the workplace, in our families, in our friendships, people who change, and how do we deal with it? Because when one person changes, everybody else has got to change one way or the other, or step away, 
which is the other uh, possibility, which usually is not the best plan, ultimately. And I mention this because we have an early Old Testament example of systems theory in the reading from the book of Jonah. Jonah fights his vocation that God is sending him to the people of Nineveh, a Gentile city, to tell them that they need to repent. They need to change. Their behavior is not good. It doesn't please God. And uh, God has sent him there. And we all know the story, and it's a big, long thing. But today, Jonah ends up there, and he tells the people of Nineveh that they need to repent. And they do it! Hey, Brumhead! Hey, stop doing it! You know, I had a, a famous journalist when I was in Tucson, Arizona, uh, a Latin American, um, Gary McCoy. He says, you know, one of the ways to stop doing something is to stop doing it. <laughs> and I don't know about you, but I spend a lot of my life fixing to get ready <laughs> to stop whatever it is. So Jonah shows up and the people listen and they change and God says I'm not going to do then what I said I'd do to these people. God repented of his resolve to punish the people of Nineveh. Now here's the thing it's not in today's reading. Jonah is furious. That they repented. They did. I mean, this said so many things. When I was reading it again this week, I also thought about, isn't this also something about getting what you asked for? <laughs> and then not, well, I didn't know. It wasn't, I guess, what I really thought. You know? People have changed. It also raises the question of when do you get to a point where you trust that the change of mind and the change of behavior and habits of someone with whom you're in relationship is saying they're going to change? And how, what do you do? How much of that do you trust? You know? So this also has to do with the fact that perhaps there may be some tools that can be brought to bear with regard to testing whether or not this might be uh, uh, trustworthy. But at the same time, it also is the issue of what do you do when people really do change? And what kind of change does that produce for you? How do you now have to conform uh, to the change? You know? Most of us get used to dealing with each other in the usual ways so that things go smoothly, right? We grease the social skids. We do all this sort of stuff. Then when one person changes in our way of dealing and relating to that person now must undergo a change, it causes, as my grandmother said, tension. But she would always say, and when I was a little boy, I could never say, why can't you say that out loud? Tension. You know, it always had to be, well, there's... <laughs> when you're nine, 
you're trying to figure out what does she mean? Why is she saying? Well, you know, sometimes there's tension and plenty of it. So how do we get out the other end? And what we learn about that is something that the gospel gives us, and that is Jesus follows the guy who baptized him, John the Baptist, and preaches repentance. But he says that when that happens and you do that, the kingdom of God is near you. And in the original language, it's, it's like right here. That's what, what it would mean. And the importance of that is that if you do change your mind and you do develop the tools and the abilities to trust, the values of the kingdom now become part of healthy relationship and the movement towards wholeness that the kingdom of God promises to bring. You know, I've said this to you many times before. The kingdom of God, in Jesus' view, in the view of the early Christian church, was not somewhere else that was going to come here. Or somewhere else that we had to die to go to, or that we could figure out to create some sort of little ideal locations where we would go to them and shut out the world. The kingdom of God is here. And so how do you and I now become instruments of God's kingdom? And how do we live into that reality that it's right here? So when you think about changing your mind and changing the mind that you have been given, changing the mind that you have been given by the culture, it may have something to do with standing always at some distance from the preconceived notions uh, of, of the world in which we live. There's so many unexamined beliefs about things now that uh, sometimes it might be important just to take a little inventory with regard to that and say, you know what, this just isn't something that I'm, I'm on board with and I'm going to step away from it. And of course, when you do that, the other people who are invested in it or who believe it's essential are going to feel uneasy. And so what you and I need to do is to see that Christian people, as they begin to develop healthy habits of being and relating, sort of rebalance things. And everybody begins to say, you know what, it's better to be in a situation where we move towards greater health and wholeness. The process of conversion has these parts. Just, I'll tell you, this is thirty-nine ninety-five. If you were in, you know, seminary, a disorientation. If you read about it in the New Testament, or you read Saint Augustine, or something, the first thing that happens to somebody who goes through a conversion experience, this can either be extreme or mild. It depends. And it may seem the language too strong. A disorientation. Gather it. The, 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 when that happens, to begin to think about your life and your personal history and to do some reflecting about it. And as you begin to do that, you realize that, you know, maybe things aren't quite so bad and that there is the presence of the forgiveness of God and the mercy of God. And finally, uh, the idea that as the result of that, you have been called now to change your mind. 
you've been called to begin to reorient your life in another way. Paul had this happen to him in a very dramatic sense. St. Augustine had it happen to him in a very dramatic sense. But you know what I'm most influenced by is when people have said to me over the years that this began to work on them in a slow and steady way. And all of a sudden they turned around and they looked at their life and they realized that they, had, they were different. And because of that, they now knew that they really needed to put into their hands what their, how their mind had changed. See, I'm convinced that a lot of our minds get changed before we put it in gear. And so the idea of repentance in Marcus Borg's sense is to understand that. So this week, think about those things that converted you to whatever it is that uh, you, you may think about in your life, your many vocations. Uh, as a spouse, as a person in the workplace, as a friend, as a parent, what was it that sort of got you moving forward in your, in your faith and belief, in your commitment to uh, reach out in love and concern for other people? I'm always in awe how many of you are involved in the wider community with so many worthy things to try and shift this, cu this culture off dead center and to make it a place where it is easier for people to be good. So, so think about what it was that did that. See if there's anything that uh, you need to change your mind about. And um, if there is something that maybe you need to feel a little bit more remorse for uh, than you have in the past, uh, you need to know that the default position is that God unconditionally loves, accepts, and forgives you. And so that's the starting place for this process. Amen. <coughs> Café.